Welcome to Girls That Invest. You're joined today by your hosts, Sim and Sonia, two millennial investors who are here to help you learn about all things investing and personal finance. Today, we have got a super exciting episode ahead where we chat to the CEO of the Financial Markets Authority here in New Zealand, Samantha Barris. We are so, so honored to have her on Girls That Invest, and we know how much value you guys will get from Samantha sharing all her wisdom. This episode was powered by Shopback. Shopback partner with over 1,400 brands such as the iconic Adore Beauty, Kmart and Kohl's to give money back on our customers' online shopping. We love using Shopback to buy the things that we want and get cashback rewards instantly. There are no strings attached. You get your money withdrawn into your PayPal or bank account after you purchase through their website. Shopback provides discount coupons, promo codes, and vouchers for the things that you were going to buy anyways. It's literally a win-win. We get access to a whole range of exclusive offers, a wide variety of shops such as fashion, food, services, and plenty of others all on one platform, which saves our time and quite literally our money. Jump onto Shopback today with the link in our description to see how they can help you shop smarter. All right, back to the show. You know, when it came to growing up and money mindset, you did, you were kind of speaking to us earlier about what that meant and how things were growing up. Has your money mindset changed since then? No, no, it hasn't. And I think the, sort of, I think the point that was quite grounding for me as a child was when my parents gave me pocket money that was more than um, others got. They also said, we're giving you more pocket money you've got because you need to make sure that you don't just spend it on sweets and chocolate and comics. You need to use the extra money to save to buy your own school stationery, to pay for your school trip. That that was quite a profound experience for me because at quite an early age, it meant that I had to be thinking about a budget. And we had these squirrel savings accounts from the post office savings bank, I think it was then. And we would, uh, and I, I had to learn to put a chunk of that money aside every week in a bank account. And it took me a while to get it right. So the first time I got all this pocket money, I went out and actually did spend all on chocolate and sweets. Uh, but then I had to borrow some money from my parents to um, to pay for the school books and, and things that I needed. What that's taught me, because at various points in my life, I've had I've had to kind of really work my income to make sure that I could cover all my costs and think about you know, not just saving for a deposit for a house, but uh, my retirement. Uh, and what that what that's kind of left me with is some really strong financial resilience skills when it comes to budgeting, saving, investing, um, making sure that I'm I'm not I'm kind of making really good decisions today on how I spend my money. I think I from from that age, I think I've just lived in fear of chaos in my financial life. You know, having had that experience of not being of running out of money when it came to buying my school books and things like that, it's you know I always it, it's it's kind of a mindset of actually quite quite a conservative approach to my own finances, always making sure that I've got enough to get me to get me through, enough a rainy day. That you know, that that's really stood with me to, to this day actually. That's so interesting. Would you say that looking back now, you know, you're probably in, in a slightly different financial position since when you were a child. Do you look back at that experience and kind of go, wow, like 
that was a whole different world. And do you kind of see it as, you know what, that made me who I am today and I don't have any regrets? Oh, it actually made me who I am today. I mean, obviously, you know, in my role, I'm more, you know, I'm more financially secure. You know, I've been lucky being able to uh, secure jobs that have meant that I can have, you know, good financial security. I, it all gets back to that experience I had as a child because what was the motivation for me to be qualified to have a career were two things, really. One was have, I wanted to enjoy my life uh, and, and, and I wanted to, and by that, by enjoying my life, I meant I wanted to be able to have a job that was really interesting because one of the many jobs I did was working at Countdown Supermarket and I love Countdown. I, I go shopping now in Countdown, but it was really boring working at the checkout. I, those hours you to clock by when I, you know, go really slowly when I was 16, 17. I remember thinking, actually, I want to have a job where I wake up in the morning. I'm really excited to go to it. And at the end of the day, I think, oh my gosh, the day's gone so quickly. I wish I could have the morning back again. But the second thing, and it's driven me uh, throughout my life, has been uh, I do not want to be financially insecure. And so that drove, that was an additional driver to me, a strong driver for me to do well at school, go to university, get well qualified, get a good job, um, so that I did not have the experience of not having enough money. <laughs> Because, you know, the first year we lived in New Zealand as a child, we slept, um, you know, we, we couldn't afford furniture or anything. So we had mattresses on the floor in the house my parents bought. So when you, I, I think when you come for, when you have that experience, I think it stays with you. Uh, for, for me, it certainly has. And it's been a real driver, a, a real personal driver for me. Honestly, it, it's so interesting hearing someone's background and where they come from and, and how things have changed and grown with them. And so sort of moving, you know, a couple of years ahead, things have gone gone well. What took you into the mindset of wanting to pursue, you know, maybe a, a career in commerce or in finance? I can't imagine that, you know, it was a very popular option at your time when you were in university. So how did that come about? Oh, it's great because actually when, you, when I was a little girl growing up, I wanted to be an actress or an astronaut or kind of all the things that, uh, you know, all, all the things that um, we, we often, you know, we, that we, we dream about. But I was um, really interested in politics as uh, as a teenager, uh, and going, you know, when I was doing, you know, it, back then we had UE and uh, and bursary. The decision that I made was that I was initially thinking I'd wanted to, I'd want to study political science at university, but I realised that what I was interested in was the politics of how you create growth, how you, you know, how do economies work? How do economies both domestic economies and the world economy, how do they grow so that you can feed, clothe, house everyone, you know, protect, you know, protect the planet, uh, you know, provide uh, fun things for people, you know, the holidays that people, you know, the, the holidays that so people want, good education, good health system. And that comes down to can you afford it? You know, can your economy afford it? And that drove me to study economics and I started that and that was 
that was behind my decision to study economics at Canterbury. And that interest kind of remains with me today. I mean, the, one of the reasons I, you know, I had my first five years of my career at the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. And what, I was absolutely delighted to you know, get, get into the graduate there. And again, it was, it was time of you know, extraordinary high inflation. I mean, we've got rising inflation at the moment, but I started out my career as an economist in finance, working for a central bank that was trying to bring inflation down when it was 23, 24%. And that was having a real impact, you know, the, you know, a real impact on people's lives. And I, I was, it, I was energised by being able to be a part of the team working to bring it down and stabilise the stabilise the economy. Did you face any kind of backlash or or trouble? You, um, you know, said that you wanted to go into this field, or was that not really an issue that you faced? None at all. I mean, there were generally not very many women who were studying economics. And at the time, uh, most of the economists at the Reserve Bank, they were mainly, not totally, but they were mainly, mainly men. But no, no backlash at all. I think, in, in, if, if anything, I mean, both my parents were really proud. They, 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 they felt invested in, the, in my education. Um, I mean, the main, the, the, the main backlash I had was my dad and I used to have all these profoundly strong economic arguments because I was really pro all the economic reforms that were happening in the late 1980s in New Zealand and my dad was quite a traditional socialist uh, and he and I and, and he and I used to have all these economic you know fierce economic and political debates but that wasn't a backlash that was that was just a wonderful part of a wonderful part of the family I was part of I mean I, I love to hear that like, I love that it's um more of a positive experience and I think a lot of people might have a misconception or a misunderstanding that you know it's um, just a boys club and, and there's no space for women and you really have to crawl and fight your way in but I mean at least from your experience it doesn't sound like that was everyone's experience. No it wasn't and, and actually I did make deliberate so I went to I made a deliberate decision to go and work in um, a body a central bank and then I was sort of moved into regulation in the financial services sector. I made deliberate decisions to choose bodies that had objectives of furthering the public interest. And because I knew that uh, friends of mine who were working for banks and investment banks when we're having less happy experiences than the ones I had, you know, there there was some sexism was rife. It was hard to get ahead. I think that in making a choice to uh, work for a body that was promoting public interest, you know, you know, societal, you know, societal outcomes, um, I was automatically in an environment that was easier as a even though I, there weren't that many women in it and there were you know many of the familiar issues over breaking through glass ceilings and, and things like that the sense of the some of the toxic because there were toxic environments in the time in the 80s in the 90s going forward into this millennium unfortunately uh, some very toxic environments for, for women to be to be working in and I made a deliberate decision to just not get into that game. Mm -hmm. If you had a piece of advice for women that are maybe starting out, um, you know, they've just begun their careers in finance or in commerce and they are scared of the possibility of facing 
potential future challenges, you know, by being a woman, maybe some unconscious bias, perhaps, what would your advice be to them, you know, in 2022? Do you know, some things just don't change. You know, I look at my own daughter now, she's in her, she's in her mid-20s. You know, women, we always have a tendency to doubt ourselves to think that, you know, to doubt ourselves and to be concerned that we always have to justify why we are in the position that, 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 we, that we are in. It's just important to go for it. But I do, ha- I think there's some, when I, when I look back at it, there are things that have been important that, that I think, you know, stand the test of time. One of them, which might be a bit controversial, is a key piece of career advice for women is actually a personal piece of advice, uh, which is, if you decide that you want to have children and not all women want to have children, choose the partner that you are going to have your children with really carefully. Whether that's a woman or a man, if the significant other in your life is a, is a woman or a man, choose it really carefully. If, you're go- if you want to have children, you want to be a mother and have a career at the same time. Partnering with the right person makes all the difference because a career in the financial sector can be time-consuming, it can be exhausting, And when you make the choice that you want to do both, uh, then you need to be able to be doing that with someone who's going to be really sharing the burden with you, you know, jointly working, you know, jointly doing the work to help help raise children uh, and and, and give give them what they need. The second is, I didn't wake up one day and become a chief executive. I didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I want to become, you know, I, I want to become a chief executive. You know, you have, I've, you know, like everyone, I've had the jobs I've gone for that I haven't got that I really wanted to get. And if you want to progress, you need to be cool with not always getting things the way you want them when you want them. So to be flexible over your routes through. Because actually my route through to becoming chief executive of financial services regulator because this is the second time I've done this job, turned up quite unexpectedly when I was approached to apply for a senior executive role in legal services regulation in the in 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 the UK, and that gave, that was that was the opening for my senior executive career. But if I'd been quite if I'd been actually no, I want to have a senior executive role in financial services regulation, and I'm going to wait till that role comes along. Um, I would probably not be here in New Zealand heading up the Financial Markets Authority. So there's, and then there's the usual bits of advice over finding people who are going to mentor you, who are going to champion you, who are going to give you give you advice, give you opportunities, and that's that's not necessarily I mean my experience that's never been through formal mentorship programs that's just been finding people who I admire watching the way that they run a board or they run an organization um and 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 kind of getting to, you know get getting getting to know them and and you know looking looking for opportunities to to learn from them so it's about being flexible and seeing that actually there's not just one route to where you want to go to. It can be, you know, there can be a variety of, of ways through. Now to move on to some nosy questions about your personal investing. First of all, where did your journey start? Put my investing into sort of two two categories until quite recently. One has been um, saving for my retirement, which I've been doing more or less since I started my career. And I do that through various forms of collective uh, investment schemes. I rely very heavily. I've got great financial advisor in the UK. I rely very heavily on um, him to 
sort of support me won't we have like an annual check-in and sometimes it's more often than that to say you know which which of the schemes that are going to work where is my risk appetite you know we have so we have some great questions around you know when when do we when do I think I'm going to retire and um which and, and therefore what you know what kind of risk appetite or risk profile do I want to take with my investments balance between equity and debt but even you know within those within those portfolios I'm really busy I don't have the time to pick stocks you know I, I, I don't have the time to do that so I'm in quite an you know, I'm in a mixture of a. I've got mixture of passive and active um, funds that kind of fit. You know, fit with my with my right my risk profile. But I don't do it myself. I don't make those decisions myself. And because I've got my my I've got two. I don't have enough time in the day to be able to do that properly. So a big tip for me has been to find the right financial advisor. And I knew he was the right financial advisor when I didn't have any life insurance at the time. And I said, what do you think I ought to do about life insurance? And he could have, you know, if he, if, he was, if he was interested in commission and things like that, he could have kind of offered me a product. And he said, actually, Samantha, you don't need life insurance now. You've got enough built up in your pension pot. You own your house without a mortgage and your kids are much less dependent on you. So he said, you're going to be leaving them a lot anyway, so you just do not need a straight life insurance policy. He said, it's just not a good use. He said, he said I'll find you one if you'd like one, but you just don't need one now at this. He said, there's other insurances you probably need, but you don't. this is something you don't need. And that was, that was a really helpful conversation. The other investment I've done from the word go was for each of my kids when they were born. I started, I did a kind of mixture of in, investing for them. And again, nothing very exciting because I haven't had the time to do it but kind of a mixture of government debt and collective investment scheme equity investments and sort of mainly mainly those collective investments have been uh, around around equity and I didn't have much I didn't have much money I think I started off with my daughter Emily when she was born I put I think it was 20 pounds a month I started saving and I was gradually able and I started that with the boys as as my two boys when when they were born as well but I just made sure I did it it was I never felt you know I always thought if I just put it straight you know in, into investing for them saving and investing for them it doesn't feel like very much but it might grow up to be you know over the time it might build to be you know quite a good thing and when my um you know when parents and friends gave the kids money you know when they were three I mean there's only so many teddy bears you can get a three-year-old rather than buying them lots of things I'd encourage people I'd encourage friends and relatives to give me money that I'd put into their investments for them and it's worked out worked out really well because you know it's not it's not a fortune at all but all three of my children because I squirreled away on a really regular basis even when I was on a very tight income I made sure that each month I was putting something away for each of the three kids they've now got the chunks of money and the funny actually we're having this really interesting discussion at the moment they don't want me to let them have it because they're scared they're going to spend it so they've they've all <laughs> they've all said to me because I when I came out here I said to them look you guys are going to have to take over these investments I've got for you and um, why don't you kind of you know why don't I introduce you to my financial advisor and they're all saying oh no can you because <laughs> if you give it to us we might buy it on a we might spend it on a car or a motorbike or, or, or some such thing so it's quite it's 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 quite interesting but you know when they need it that will help them um it won't you know it will help them towards you know buying you know a deposit for a house or, or some such thing and so that's a big you know it's a uh, I'm so pleased I did it because what would I spent that 20 pounds on it might have been kind of 
you know, uh, it, it might have gone towards, you know, a beer or I might have got, you know, an extra large chicken or something, you know, I, it would have just gone, it would have just disappeared. And instead, I've been putting it away. And it's grown into something that's actually meaningful for my kids. <laughs> I love that they're like, no, please don't give me that responsibility. It definitely sounds like something I would say to my parents. Um, but you spoke a little bit about having a financial advisor. This is something that we get asked about a lot, how you actually pick a financial advisor. Do you have any tips for those who are on the hunt for one? I spoke to three advisors and and, and then went, went with him. It was around qualifications. The thing that was very important to me was that he was able to be completely objective so that he took, I could feel with him that he was really taking the time to get to know me, where I was at with my stage of life, that he did not gain financially, you know, the way that he is remunerated through me is completely separate to the investments and, and things that I do. And that was sort of clicked with him and thought, yes, this is someone who I can I can rely on. But it was it was the qualifications, it was the track record of not just him but the firm that he was a part of. Kind of went through quite a lot of probing questions over for me the most important question is how do you make your money <laughs> you know how do you because you, you're earning a living from this and I need to make sure that your need to earn a living from this doesn't cut across your ability to give me independent advice that, that, that meets my needs and the second thing is I also want to know that you you're qualified to do it you know you you, you qualify you've got the relevant qualifications that are, that are needed for this role so one of my favorite questions to ask people is of course about books do you have any books that have helped you throughout your career that you can recommend to our listeners so I'm not a self-help book person don't have a bible that I can say oh yeah no this is this is the book I read I think in terms of my personal development in, in books what I have found more useful and interesting has been to read biographies and autobiographies of people not just politicians but people who have overcome adversity, who have made something of their lives, who I admire, and, and also people I might not even agree with, but just people who have who, who have achieved success or have needed to deliver things, and that's the interesting in and of themselves. But also, I find that you learn a lot over how to deal with difficult circumstances. So that is that the Barack Obama one, uh, Sheree Blair, uh, Sheree Blair, Tony Blair's wife, wrote a great book about speaking for herself. Because actually, she came from a a very impoverished, difficult family background in Liverpool and went on to become an eminent um, barrister, a leading barrister, and also just happened to be married to, the, married to, married to Tony Blair at the same time. And, you know, had, had all sorts of um, slings and arrows kind of pointed in her direction. And that was, you know, I learned a lot from reading that book, but how did she manage with all the hurdles and the, all, all the challenges that she faced? In terms of self-development, I definitely, I definitely go down the biographies, autobiography route, and still do. And the other, the other kind of self-development in terms of building the skills to be able to do the job that I now do, is I would look at people who I was working with who would cope with difficult circumstances really well. I had a great, there was a great CEO at the Solicitors Regulation Authority called Anthony Townsend, and his ability to deal at the board table or in any other circumstance with left field difficult issues difficult circumstances i just i would you know some, someone would so, something would happen that was unexpected and i'd sit back and I'd think i have absolutely no idea anthony how you are going to deal with this and then i'd sit back and i'd watch how he dealt with it and i thought ah 
that's how you deal with that particular situation. <laughs> so it, there are all, uh, for me, there hasn't been a, you know, a book or a, you know, or a school of thinking. It's just been a combination of things that I've been able to, to use to build my experience and understanding of, of things. Nice. I've actually been wanting to get into autobiographies for a bit. So thank you for some recommendations. Alrighty, to wrap up, did you have any last career tips that you would want to give to our audience? Make sure that you're doing a job that you want to do. Go for something that you're going to enjoy doing. If you're finding that difficult to get, go for something that's going to kind of get you sort of part part way along. I mean, at the moment, the labor market's really tight. So there's a lot of choices out there for people starting their career. So enjoy, enjoying a job is really good. You know, it, it seems really obvious, isn't it? Maybe I should write a guru book about it. But um, if, if people enjoy doing their jobs, they happen to do them really well. That's kind of, you know, find a job that you enjoy because you have to be authentic to yourself. You can't pretend to, to like doing something that you can't do. The second is to don't do yourself down. It's so frustrating because we did exactly the same thing when we were starting out. We think, oh, you know, I can't go for that job because someone else will go for it. They'll know someone who, um, you know, they'll, they'll know someone who that they who they want for the role. Um, or I don't really meet all the qualifications, so I'm not going to put an application in. Just go for it. So, don't, you know, really stop yourself from doing it. Say, actually, no, I'm talking myself down. I'm sabotaging my own career. Because, yes, you will not get your foot. You know, you will have to put in lots of applications potentially, but just keep doing it. The third tip, don't feel that you have to be perfect all the time. When you're starting a job, ask ask for help when you're when you're getting into a job it's wonderful you know I love it you know today you know uh, you know I'm in this role I've got people who are early in early in their careers and I I love it when they say Sam can you help me with this or can you give me your thought on on that uh, because it's we, we, we like being asked for help or support or input to to the work that we're doing it's it's a pretty sad person that's going to turn you down but also you can learn and also when you're asking uh other people in the work you know asking for help you're also getting known to them uh and and they can you know and, and they can kind of also you know it's part of that kind of networking that you can do to kind of be noticed and be um have an opportunity to get the to get the next job Thank you so much again to Samantha for coming on. We definitely have to have you on again soon. And also another shout out to Shopback for being our exclusive podcast sponsor for the rest of the season. The link is in the show notes below so you can start getting cash back while you shop. It's a win-win if you ask us. For more GTI, we're at Girls That Invest on all of our socials except Twitter where we're Girl That Invest because the handle was taken. Um, Don't forget to join our Facebook group where we have weekly discussions on the episodes that we put out and for more of a community feel. And as always, to finish off our disclaimer, Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence. Bye team, see you all next week.